0: Father, we ask today that you would open your word to us. Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to the word, that we'd hear, and that we would rise up, Lord, with eyes to see the good things that you have done in our lives, and that we will worship you with a heart filled with thanksgiving. We want that, Lord. Come and bless us with such a gift. In Jesus' name, grace me to speak it. Amen. Let me reflect for a minute on, on thanks, on what it is. First of all, thanks is something that, that sees the good. And, and I say that because I do believe human nature sees the bad. When we look at a cup half full, we see a cup half empty. Or a cup twice as big as it needs to be. However you look at it, we can see the negative side of the thing. We tend to, we tend to look at that. And so, there to, to, to give thanks, it means I've actually observed the good things. And I believe that takes a decision. I want you to decide to look for the good things in your life. I want you to decide to see what God is doing and have us take our eyes. And I, this is, I'm preaching to me as, at least as much. I am a real Eeyore by nature. Eeyore's the little donkey and Winnie the Pooh. I can see all of the negatives. You, you just put a thing there and I'll spot the flaw. That makes for a fun guy. But I have to choose to stop that and to see the good. Thanks sees not only the good, but it sees the grace. Grace means that something has been given undeservedly. I have received a gift I don't deserve. Something I have not paid for, I have not earned, I do not deserve, has been given to me. Therefore, I give thanks for it. I acknowledge I've received something for which I'm indebted, as it it were. Uh, This isn't an even, even deal. You've given me something I can't really pay you for. If I pay for it, I don't thank people for it. Well, you do at the cash register often. You say, oh, thank you very much. But you don't mean it. I mean, if they didn't give it to you, you'd go to the manager. Because you paid for it. It's yours. You say thanks out of social nicety. But real thanks isn't social nicety. Real thanks is an acknowledgement. Whoa, you have given me something uh, I couldn't have paid for. Thank you so much. Thanks sees the source, and it, when I say that, the, when, when I have thanks, it means I understand that the source of this blessing is outside of myself. I have received something I have not generated. Often we, we by nature, think of ourselves as, as having produced stuff. You know, you say, wait a minute, what do I have to give thanks for? Yeah, I've got a, I got a nice home, and i got all this stuff, and all this, but I worked hard. I got up before the sun. I walked to work in bare feet through the snow. Uphill both ways. I earned this with my hard sweat. I don't have to thank God or anybody else for it. It's, it's just really fun to think of what would happen... If God hadn't blessed you with the brains and the gifts and the strength and the health and the support and the the opportunities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People standing there in just a a forest of blessing saying, look what I did. Look what I have done. It's good that you cooperate. It's good that you showed up and went to work. Good for you. But that you could was a gift of God. That there was work to go to is a gift of God. And thanks also, not only does it see the good, does it see the grace, and does it see the source, but thanks sees the need to say thank you. You know, I can, I can accept stuff and just take it for granted. I, I, I got a lot of good stuff, I suppose. Or I can see the fact that I need to say thank you, acknowledge the fact that... Somebody has done this, to communicate it to the person who provided it. So when we talk about thanksgiving, giving thanks, of course, primarily to God. We are recognizing that he has done good things in our lives, that he's given us a grace that we don't deserve, that there's so much that we we couldn't have paid for, we haven't earned it. God has just given it to us. He's our source, and it's time to say to him, Thank you for all that you have done. Life always seems to offer us a mixture of good things and bad things. At any point in our lives, you can find that there's good stuff and there's bad stuff. And I think we're all pursuing that elusive moment where there'll be all good stuff and no bad stuff. I know I'm pursuing this idea. Right now, I've have, I'm really busy. I got, I got too many things on my plate. But next year, next year, I've got this solved. Next year, I'm going to just kick back and toast my feet by the fire because I got everything handled. Yeah, right. You know next year will have its own set of things, won't it? How many of you are just, you're in a real bind and you're just running like a, like a squirrel in a cage, but next year, you've got, it's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Next year will have its own, its own issues. It seems somehow easier for us as, a, as human beings to see the negative. And what I'm, what I'm saying is your life at any point in time will have good things and bad things. And if you allow the negative things to be the, the issues that focus your attention, that set your mood, you can have a lousy attitude any time of your life. Or You can choose, and it is a willful choice, to look at the good things in your life because they're also there and give thanks and praise for that. And today what we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to actually look at Moses and we're going to see that he had good things and bad things that could be given thanks for and then we're going to compare him to you. And see if you don't have the same kind of blessings and good things in your life that God had given to one of the greatest leaders in all of history. And of course, he has given us actually abundantly beyond what even Moses had. And we take it for granted. Thanksgiving offers us an opportunity to stop the negative orientation and see the good. As Christians, we give thanks especially for our spiritual blessings. These are the most important, and though they may not be something we can physically see, they are eternally real. What's in our life that's of most importance, that we give greatest thanks for, isn't our physical blessings. I may have lost my job. There may be ill health in my family. There can be all sorts of difficulties on the physical level. But my spiritual blessings are abundant beyond what I could ask or think. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not look at the things which are seen, meaning the stuff of this world, and he was particularly referring at the time to the sufferings that they were going through as Christians, but at the things which are not seen. What are the things which are not seen? The spiritual things. He says we focus not on this physical world, but we focus on the spiritual realities that are in our lives. For the things, he says, which are seen are temporal, meaning they're tied to time, they're decaying with this planet. But the things which are not seen, the spiritual realities of our life, are eternal. They go on forever. They're far more real than the stuff of this world. The day will come when the room you're in and the chair you're sitting on is going to go up in smoke. Now, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Paul talks about thanks and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter 4. This passage is absolutely foundational for me. I think about it all the time. I'm actually trying to obey this passage. And I'm learning to observe a Sabbath. And have time with the Lord. And my key passage is the verses I'm about to read to you. I highly recommend these to you. This is absolute truth. Paul says that thanks is essential to effective prayer. Now now watch this. Chapter 4, verse 6, Philippians. Be anxious, don't worry, in other words. Be anxious for nothing... But in everything, all issues of life in which you're starting to worry, by prayer, take the issue to God, and supplication, be specific and name what you need, with what? Look at that. I'm supposed to pray and supplicate with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. I'm not supposed to worry, but I'm supposed to take those needs that I have and present them to God in prayer With thanksgiving. Now, what am I giving thanks for? What does he mean? Well, I'll show you in a minute. He actually illustrates it in in this very book. He does does the thing he's telling us to do. But what he's talking about is he's saying, when you pray, thank the Lord for his faithfulness before you've even seen it. You, You pray with thanksgiving. When we prayed for Muhammad just now. I, I, I said something to the effect, "We Lord, we send him out and we bring him back with a good report in his mouth. We thank you before we've even, even seen it. Am I being presumptuous? No, I'm, base, I'm basing that statement on the fact that God is faithful. He says, "Well, he'll keep what we entrust to him. We're entrusting our brother to him and his family, so we can say, "Lord, we haven't even seen it yet, but thank you. We know you'll be faithful. Do you understand? That's the way you keep a need before God. Faith and thanks are just completely joined. When you keep a need before God, you don't keep repeating, oh, God, help me, give me this, 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 as if he didn't hear you the first time. But what you do is say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your answer. I know it's coming. Thank you. There's a, that's, it's an absolute expression of faith. I write my needs down in a little notebook and then I go back over it and I just run my hand down. I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I haven't seen it yet. But thank you. I let my request be made known with thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And you'll find thanking him and going, oh, God, help me, are two different prayers. <laughs> one, you come away defeated and overwhelmed. The other one, you come out of it feeling, yeah. One's got faith, the other's just begging. They're two different things. He says, let your requests be made known with thanksgiving. Now, he also says that thanks is essential to peace and to the removal of mental stress. Look at this. He says, verse 7, And the peace of God, which passes, sur- surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I thank the Lord, when I... Come at it with bringing my needs to Him with this kind of faith, I will find that the worry lifts and I have peace in my heart over the issue. And indeed, I do. And if you're doing this, you do too. Uh, I I am finding that this keeping a Sabbath is. Is really essential. He says if you'll keep a Sabbath, if you'll turn your foot from doing your own way and speaking your own word, he says I will make you ride on the heights. And I never understood that. It's kind of like I figured God wanted to see if I would just take a time out. He'd bless me. No, that's not it at all. He wants you to sit with him and talk with him. And he will counsel you and guide you and remind you of stuff you need to do and how to do it and what to say. And so by the time you go into your week, you're not confused and worried and hand-wringing and trying to bear a million things in your brains, but you've been given guidance before you even get there. It really works. And a great peace comes over. Things that I'm worried about, Lord, I'm giving it to you. Thank you for your answer, and I find he's got it. I can let this thing go. And peace comes over my heart. I highly recommend it. Now, look what he says in verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true... Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Now, that's a a command, and we are being appealed to to make a decision and to put the focus of our minds on the things, obviously, of God. Those are the things that are of excellence and good repute. Those are the things that are right and worthy and honorable. He says, think about them. Put your mind on the good things of God. And then he says in verse 9, And the peace, God of peace, will be with you. So, thanksgiving isn't some happy little deal. It'd be fun to give thanks for something. Think positive. This is foundational attitudes for Christianity. And at least once a year we ought to do it. Now, To get our minds focused for thanksgiving, let's start by asking, what did Moses have to be thankful for? I told you I was going to bring Moses into this picture. We're going through the book of Exodus, if you're new today. And we've been looking at Moses' life, so let's drop back in the Bible to Exodus, about chapter 2, 3. I'm not going to go through the text, but you ought to have it kind of in front of you to remind you. Moses... At the point we intercept him here, at the time he's about to step out and lead the nation of Israel, could have looked at his life and seen all of the negatives, or you could look at his life from God's perspective and see all the wonderful positives. Let's start with the negatives, those are the easy ones for me. Moses had a lot to to complain about. If this were his thanksgiving, he could have looked at his life and said, what do I have to give thanks for? And he could have said, I was abandoned when I was three years of age. My parents took me and left me on an Egyptian doorstep, basically. He said, I've had speech problems, really serious ones. The more I'm into this reading through this, he really did have speech problems. I don't know what they were. I don't know if he stuttered. I don't know what it was, but he had a problem. He says, I was rejected by, by the Hebrews. The, the people. His own people didn't want him. Of course, the Egyptians were out to kill him. So talk about a man without a country. He had lost his adoptive mother. For 40 years, he had an Egyptian mother. Now, she's out of the picture too. He is completely disenfranchised from his family. He has lived in the in a barren, desolate land of Midian for 40 years, which is just rocks and dust. I believe he had a troubled marriage. You say, where did you get that? Well, I give you the verses, you decide for yourself. He had no wealth of his own. He's 80 years old and he's herding his father-in-law's goats and sheep. Jacob would have owned the place. It had been the Circle J Ranch. Would have, wouldn't he? Moses has, has nothing. He's out there herding Jethro's goats and sheep. All of his youthful dreams of being a leader and freeing his people are dead and he is hopeless. If he wanted to have a pity party, if he wanted to be somber and look at the negatives, negatives in his life, he had some. He had some, some big ones. But let's Kind of lift up and let's look at Moses' life from God's perspective. Let's see it, let's see the spiritual, the things that are not seen. Let's see what's there. First of all, God would say of Moses, yes, you ended up being put on an Egyptian doorstep, but I was miraculously preserving your life. While other Hebrew babies were being thrown in the Nile River, you had the protection of the royal government. I took you out of that danger and I preserved your life in in the home of the princess of Egypt. And I saw that you got the finest education that the world had to give at that point in time. A prince of Egypt, the great mightiest empire of the the known world. He would have been educated in astronomy and mathematics. He He would have had medicine He would have been taught all sorts of things. He would need it. He was about to become the leader of two million people, taking them through an incredible trauma, living out in the wilderness for 40 years. He would need every skill and everything he could possibly learn. But God would see. It was hard. He was lonely. But God would see that he got a great education. Not only would he get that kind of education, but he he would be educated in wilderness survival. This guy could lead tours for REI. (laughs) Forty years in Midian, kicking snakes. I mean, walking around with his staff, herding goats. That'll teach you something. He knew all the bushes. He knew how to survive. He knew 40 years of living out in the roughest area where his nation would have to survive. The very areas they would be living around Mount Sinai. He was being taught intimate knowledge of it. See, it may have looked hard to him, but God said, you don't see like I see. What I see is that I'm preparing you for your calling. And it's flawless. It's perfect. It's all going right on schedule. And then he had a personal encounter with God. What a gift. You can you imagine that? To have God show up and talk to you, albeit in a burning bush. To have a personal encounter. It was so powerful. The Lord said, take your shoes off. You're standing there uh, rudely in my presence. Take your shoes off like a slave and stand humbly in my presence or you'll probably die from the glory. Imagine having that kind of power encounter you. What a gift. What a blessing. He had a purpose for living, a divine call. He didn't like it. But he'd been called to lead his people to freedom. He had a tremendous call on his life. Nothing's worse than living a life without purpose. If all you're doing is trying to keep yourself happy and ignoring the fact that you're dying, that's a hideous way to live. People basically have to stay drunk to tolerate that misery. Some people, if you don't have a a real purpose in life, all you live for is your comfort. You want to eat good food and be comfortable and have nice things and you want sexual pleasure and you just sort of entertain yourself trying to ignore the fact that you're getting older every day and heading toward death. That's a lot of fun. There's great purpose in that. But for God to come along and say, Hey, you, I've called you. I've called you for an eternal job. I've made you for a reason, and it's a glorious reason. And that's a gift. That's a huge gift. God promised his constant presence to help him. He says, yes, you're going down to Egypt, but I will go with you. I'll be with you. Does Jesus say something like that? He says, I will never forsake you. Lo, I am always with you even to the end of the age. I'm I'm going to take you there in a minute. You and I have been promised beyond what Moses received. And Moses had reason to glorify God forever. He was given revelational knowledge. The Lord literally revealed deep spiritual truths to Moses. We've just seen one of them. Moses says, I don't know your name. What is it? I won't know what to answer when they ask me a a theological question. And and the Lord says, my name is Yahweh, which means I am that I am. I am the eternally existent one. I am always and ever present. I don't age. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am Yahweh. Man, the Lord's opening his mind to the deep things of, of, of the Spirit Showing him himself. What a gift. And the Lord promised him miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. He says, You're gonna, I'm going to give you power when you go forward. Well, he had, if you recall, a stick that you could throw on the ground and it would turn into a snake. What a, what a deal. He says, you know, when he put that thing away, he says, don't put it away carefully. Don't drop it. Oh, <laughs> Wouldn't want to drop that stick. Oh. And he could could put his hand in his cloak and pull it out and be leprous and put it in and be clean. That's power. He had powerful gifts. Scoop up water from the Nile and it'd be blood when it hit the ground. He had promised miraculous provision. The Lord said, When you go out from Egypt, I'm going to see to it that the Egyptians give you their gold and silver jewelry and their. Expensive clothing. In fact, I want you to dress your children up in all that beautiful clothing when you go out. I want it to be a beautiful procession of all the wealth. Has God promised us provision? See, He prom- promised to provide for us? All right. Moses could have, at that point in time, stood and looked at the negatives in his life and had a bad attitude, or he could see his life from God's perspective and realize that he had abundant blessings beyond what you could ask or think. You can do the same. As a Christian, first of all, I assume we don't need to go through the negatives. I went through the negatives with Moses, but I think you've already got that handled. I know I do. I could give you a PowerPoint presentation right now of all the negatives in my life. I know them by... I've got them ordered Here are some of the spiritual blessings that we have in common with Moses. First of all, the Lord is there protecting your life even though you didn't know him. Even when you didn't know him, the Lord protected your life. How do I know? You're here. Listen to me. Not only were there miracles in your lifetime... But the fact that your grandmother didn't slip on that rock protected your life. Had any of your ancestors died, you wouldn't exist. All the way back to Adam. It's incredible that you have life. I met my father... Uh, he's died now, but I got to know him for a few years. And one of the things that really startled me is he told me about an incident where basically he would have died. And the Lord, it was it's quite obvious. I'll tell you the story one of these days. It's a good story. Not now, though. The Lord miraculously preserved his life. And as I thought about it, I thought, Whew. Because had he died, I would never have been born. You know, if you get in touch with that, don't take for granted that you are alive. Some of us despise our lives, and yet it's in a gift beyond belief. And if you know Jesus Christ, I, I, I'm, I do care about the things you're suffering. But if you know Jesus Christ and you have life, then you have in front of you eternal life. And you ought to be shouting, I don't, I I keep wanting to say, I don't care how bad it is. Yes, I do care. But it doesn't make the difference. We don't look at the things that are seen. We look at the things which are not seen. He came after you, pardon me, he didn't, he, God is able to take the bad things in our lives and turn them to good. He did for Moses. We looked at the fact that he he lived in an Egyptian household. He lived in the Midianite wilderness. All of these kinds of things. And yet God was using them all in his life. Well, he uses the same kind of thing in your life. In your life, all things work together for good. As you follow his purpose and love him. All things do. We've seen that your sufferings produce. I heard one person say it. Or the... Compassion, that your failures produce humility, that your frustrations produce patience. That God's at work in your life causing all things to work together. Everything that's happening in your life is also molding you into a servant of God, an effective, powerful, compassionate, humble, patient servant of God. He is. He came after you. He, he, he found Moses. Moses is out wandering with his sheep. He came after you. If we had the time right now to go through everybody's testimony in this room, there wouldn't be one person in here who knows Jesus Christ who wouldn't have, finally have to say, At the, I was wandering, dumb as a post. I didn't find God. He found me. Right? Amen. There's not a person in here who had the brains to find God. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Bah! You just were... The God of the universe knew your name, sent people, had people pray for you, saw that you Heard the gospel preached, the Holy Spirit superintended over you, drawing you to Himself. You're loved. You're, I love Isaiah has a passage, he says, We shall be called sought out. You have been sought out. You didn't find God, He sought you out as He sought out Moses. He sent someone to free you from slavery. If We went through our testimonies. There are people in your life who've ministered to you and loved you and made a huge difference in your life. I just know it because I know God. And you've had a personal encounter with the Lord. Moses had a burning bush that talked to him. That's good. You have been filled as a temple with the Holy Spirit. That Shekinah glory that radiated from that bush out on the, out in the mo- side of Mount Sinai, that Shekinah glory lives inside of you. To what dimension? Jesus says, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water, referring to the Spirit. You have unlimited access to the presence and power of God. The only thing that prevents us from being in the Spirit 24 hours a day is our own laziness and indulgence in the world. Not one person who has Christ. We can't find the Lord any time we want to. So there's times that are harder than others. Times when our emotions are in terrible shape. Times when life has hit us a, a mean blow. But if I'll press through, he's always there. For he dwells in me. He never leaves me. And for, forsakes me for all eternity. You have a purpose for living. Boy, do you ever called as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Called to serve Him. When you give your life to the Lord, you admit your sin, you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for your sin on the cross and that you have forgiveness and are accepted by the Lord because of Christ, but then you confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A, B, C. You confess the Lordship of Jesus Christ, meaning I give you My life, Lord. And the Bible says we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. The blood of his dear son. You don't belong to yourself anymore. It says we no longer live for ourselves. But for him who died for us. Do you have purpose? Do you have meaning? Do you have direction? You're loaded with it. And if you're wallowing in indirection and indecision... And, and I have no purpose for my life. It's because it's you're simply not willing to accept the one the Lord has for you. You're looking at the physical. You're not looking at the spiritual. Because the Lord has given you a call, a high call. There is no higher. To be his son, his daughter. To be filled with the Spirit. And let him use you day by day to walk in the Spirit. and Make eternal difference in other people's lives. Yeah, you have a call. You have a huge call. It's a glorious call. And you're equipped with miraculous powers. No, you don't have a stick that you can throw on the ground, I hope, that turns into a snake. And you can't stick your hand and make it come out leprous, but you can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You have all the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, the prophecy, tongues, interpretation, healing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit dwell in you and the Lord will minister through you as as the need is there. You're spirit-filled man or woman. And he's promised his provision to you. No, the Egyptians aren't going to give you their gold and silver jewelry. But your Lord says to you, seek first the kingdom of God. Just focus on what I've called you to do. And I will add to you everything you need. I'll provide. I'll see that it's there. I'll clothe you like I clothe the lilies of the field. I'll feed you like I feed the birds of the air. Just focus on mine. I'll take care of the rest. What a promise! And I believe he'll keep every every bit of his promise. Boy, when we take our eyes off of the natural and off of the negative, and we choose to see life like God sees it from His perspective, when we see the things that are not seen, and take our eyes off the things that are seen. We have riches beyond belief. Every believer, no matter how bad the year's been, you are rich in treasure. You are loved. You are blessed beyond belief. You only have to choose to see it, to see the source, to see the grace, to see the good and then to see the need to say thank you for it and to bless him. I'm going to give you one more example of people who did exactly what I'm talking about. People who had negatives in their lives beyond belief, but who chose to see the things of the Spirit. Listen to this. This is... The the pilgrims landed on the Mayflower in in, uh, 1620, I think it was. And they went through a terrible winter. I'm not going to read all the gore, but let me read the the scorecard at the end. When the worst was finally over, they had lost 47 people, nearly half their original number. 13 out of 18 wives died. Imagine that. 13 out of 18 wives died. Only three families remained unbroken of the entire group of pilgrims. These are Christian believers who came to the new world to worship the Lord freely. There's a lot of people that came to America to exploit it and to get rich. There's a lot of of creeps that came over here on a boat. But the pilgrims were not in that category. They were were wonderful people who loved the Lord. Of them, only three families didn't have somebody that died. Of of, Of all the first comers, the children fared the best. Of seven daughters, none died. Of 13 sons, only three the colony, which was young to begin with, was even younger now. But compared with Jamestown, that's a group of creeps, which had 80 to 90% mortality rate, they came through remarkably well. Now listen, through it all, their hearts remained soft to God. Would your hearts have been soft to God? If you'd have lost family members, you, you, wouldn't you? Wouldn't a bunch of us say, God, I got on that dumb boat. I came across that, I got seasick for weeks coming over that ocean. And we came here to build a colony for you, to glorify you, to worship you as you've asked to be worshipped. We're doing all this for you. And you, my wife died and my child died. How many here would point our little bony finger in the air and go, you failed me. I'm not thanking you. There's people right now probably who are ready to curse God because somebody keyed your new car. Because the pipes broke it in the house. Little dumb stuff really. And we let our whole mood our whole year There's an illness in the family. We're ready to just completely abandon God. He doesn't doesn't work. Here are people where half of them died, and what do they do? They organize a Thanksgiving worship service. Stunning. Whether they knew they were being tested, as Bradford later suspected, the high point of their week remained Sunday worship. Which the beat of the field drum would summon them to the morning and afternoon services, all on board the Mayflower would come ashore and join the procession led by William Brewster, their spiritual leader. Now listen. Here's here's Thanksgiving, the summer of 1621. They went through that terrible winter. That's the scorecard of all that died. But through the summer, the spring and summer, the Lord sent help. The Native Americans came. Seriously, that was His grace. And they came and they, they taught them how to eat. They saw this pathetic group and they really had compassion on them. Seriously. They had compassion on them and they taught them how to squish eels out of the mud with, you know, and how to farm in this new land, how to fish. They just kept them alive. And these were godly people who loved them and there was a totally different atmosphere. These were people who loved each other. Listen to this. The pilgrims were brimming over with gratitude after that winter. Not only did these particular Native Americans who had been so friendly for them, but to God. In him they had trusted and he had honored their obedience beyond their dreams. So Governor Bradford declared a day of public thanksgiving to be held in October. You'll have to forgive them. They didn't know it was supposed to be November. It was too early. And Massasoit, that's one of the chief Native American chiefs, was invited and unexpectedly unexpectedly arrived a day early with 90 Indians. Counting their number, the pilgrims had to pray hard to keep from giving into despair. To feed such a crowd would cut deeply into the food supply that was supposed to get them through the winter. But if they had learned one thing through their travails, it was to trust God implicitly. So it, as it turned out, the Indians were not arriving in ha- empty-handed. Massasoit had commanded his braves to hunt for the occasion. They arrived with no less than five dressed deer and more than a dozen fat, wild turkeys. So the Native Americans introduced turkey, introduced, and by the way, you say, I don't like turkey? Then you can have venison. <laughs> Thanksgiving is not about feasting. Thanksgiving is about being part, being a, a, a continuous chain of people who have been giving thanks since 1621. We are joining their table, as it were. Massasoit commanded his braids. They brought the, five, the deer and the wild turkeys. They helped with preparations, teaching the women how to make hoe cakes and a tasty pudding out of cornmeal and maple syrup. Finally, they showed them an Indian delicacy, how to roast corn kernels in an earthen pot until they popped fluffy and white popcorn. The pilgrims, in turn, provided many vegetables from their household gardens, carrots, onions, turnips, parsnips, cucumbers, radishes, beets, cabbages. Also using some of their precious flour, they took summer fruits, which the Indians had dried, and introduced them to the likes of blueberry, apple, and cherry pie. It was all washed down with sweet wine. I hate to tell you that. uh, From the wild grapes, if I'd read this to my children, I would have said sweet juice a joyous occasion for all. Between the meals, the pilgrims and Indians happily competed in shooting contests with gun and bow. Just be careful where you aim those things. The Indians were especially delighted that John Alden and some of the younger men of the plantation were eager to join them in foot races and wrestling. So there you go. Uh, There were even military drills staged by Captain Standish. Things went so well and Massasoit Showed no inclination to leave. That The Thanksgiving day was extended for three days. Surely one moment stood out in the pilgrim's memory. William Brewster as, uh, prayer as they began the festival. They had so much for which to give thanks to God. Listen to that. I buried my wife last winter. I buried my son. But I have so much to give thanks for. So much to give thanks for. For providing all their needs even when their faith had not been up to believing that he would do so, for the lives of the departed and for taking them home to be with him. That's why they could do it. They didn't see the physical, they saw that which is not seen. And they knew that though they had lost these loved ones, they were in the arms of Jesus. And they really believed that. For their friendship with the Indians... So extraordinary when settlers to the south had experienced the opposite for all his remarkable providences in bringing them to this place and sustaining them. They could have looked at the negatives and had a lousy year and said, God has failed us. They chose not to. They chose to look at the spiritual and to say, we have so much to be thankful for. How about you? You and I can do the same. When you sit down to a Thanksgiving dinner, be it at home or in the booth in a restaurant, You just got to have turkey or venison. (laughs) Choose to let your mind dwell on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, any excellence or anything worthy of praise. And your heart will overflow with thanksgiving. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will anoint our hearts and our homes this this week. Lord, that you will take our eyes and remove any blinders from them so that we can see the things which are not seen. Your wonderful salvation, your great love for us, your filling of the Holy Spirit the eternal life that's in front of us, the promises that are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. We are a people blessed beyond comprehension. I don't think we even see the small part of all that you have done for us. We choose with our will. Our spirit chooses to obey you, Lord, especially this week, to see the good things, and to give thanks and worship to our source. Lord Jesus, you have opened the door of heaven to us. You have made a way for us, called us your own. Rather than despising us and casting us away, you've loved us and called us. You've died for us and risen again that we might live. We worship you and we honor you. May you be lifted up at our table. May your name be held high. And may our hearts overflow with blessing and praise to you. Glorious Lord, we see the things which are not seen. And we bless you. And thank you with all our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, Please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.